0: David writes in Psalm 103, (laughs) Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your re- youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made, way his, he made known his ways to Moses. His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to church. Doing all right? All right. We we got a whistle. We're rolling this morning. One whistle. All right. Hey, let's pray and then I'll get into it. Jesus, we come to you this morning the best we know how, um, bringing in all the different things that we carry into this place, the... The frustration, the anger, the bitterness, the, the fear, the anxiety, whatever it might be, we, we bring it and we put it at your feet the best that we know how this morning. And um, I just pray for those in the room this morning, the, the least expectant, the, the most discouraged, um, and, and the person who's just hungry for a word from you this morning. And we ask that you would speak to all of us by your spirit, that you would take these words that were penned thousands of years ago and that you would breathe on them and make them real in our hearts this morning. And so we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a couple years ago, I had this real crisis moment. Um, see, I've been, I've been to a lot of weddings before. Um, I've been a groomsman at weddings. I've been at my own wedding. You know, I've been an attendant. So I kind of knew the vibe of, like, I know who I am at weddings. Uh, but a couple years ago, I got asked to officiate my first wedding. And it's a real moment of crisis because you're like, who am I going to be? At this wedding, you know, because before before I'm just like, I, I know how to be a groomsman. I'm like I I know how to be responsible in a way that people didn't ask me to be responsible for the vibe of the dance floor. Okay, like I understand what that role is. But I didn't know, like, you know, it's like now I'm the kind of the preacher guy, the pastor guy. Do I dance or do I not dance? Okay, some of you guys don't know this crisis. okay? But it was a real moment for me. People walk up to you, like, hey, thanks for the thanks for the word. You know, I'm like, dude, I, I don't know. Okay, anyways having this crisis moment, I don't know what I'm going to do, and then this song comes on. And all the people who can't dance, you know this song because it's your anthem song, it's the only one that gets you out on the dance floor, but that cha-cha slide came on, you know. Okay, if you can't dance, you're like, this is, this is my time, I guess, you know, this is my one, that I'm going to get out there. And you hear the instructions from the song, that's why you like it, because there's instructions what to do, okay? But I remember hearing this song, it came on, and I couldn't help myself but get up out of my seat, walk out on the dance floor, and slide to the left, you know? Two hops this time, one, two, like I was getting after it. And I realized in that moment what I was to do. I'm, I am going to dance always, you know? That's, it, was a, it answered my crisis for me. I don't care. So just so you know, if I officiate your wedding, I will also cut it up on the dance floor, okay? That's who I am. It's what I'm going to do, Okay. But, but there's something there, right, that, that there are some things that when you hear them or you see them, you can't help but respond, right? All you nature people, you understand this? Like, when you look at the beauty of nature, like, I lived in Colorado my whole life, and I'm the worst Coloradoan in human history, but now when I go back to Colorado and I'm driving north on I-25 and I look to the left, I cannot help but look over to Caitlin and say, those mountains are beautiful, Right? Because when you, when you hear something or you see something that's so beautiful, no one has to tell you what you're supposed to do. No one has to tell you how to respond, but it's the natural thing to you. Especially you nature people. Like, you really get it, you know? I'm not a nature guy. But, I, but you guys, with your trees and your hikes, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, beauty. I'm working on it, okay? I'm understanding there's a gap in my life with God, and most of it has to do with nature and a thousand other things. But we respond, when we hear things or see things that are so beautiful. And what I want to communicate this morning as we close kind of our little mini prayer series that we've been doing for the past couple of weeks is that prayer and worship really, that we think these two things are connected by the way, we want our worship gatherings to be filled with prayer. We want our prayer gatherings to be filled with worship because we don't think that they're like totally separate things, but they're kind of like this weird codependent relationship. Okay, Worship and prayer, they are, they are kind of one but also kind of separate. But we want to see the interconnectedness of them, prayer and worship. And prayer and worship comes easy to us. It is the natural response to us when we see Jesus for who he actually is. Right? like I, I want to I try to communicate this morning that prayer and our struggles with prayer, our frustrations with our own prayer life has way less to do with discipline and devotion and far more to do with what has your awe, with what has your attention. And that Jesus is actually so beautiful that when we just see him for who he actually is, prayer and worship, it's the most natural thing to us. That even this morning, you were made to pray. It is the natural thing. God made you To pray. It's not something you're like, oh, I gotta try to work this new thing. It is what you were designed to do by your creator was to connect with him. And most of the time it's because we don't actually see him for who he is. And we add other things to him that makes prayer so complicated, that makes prayer so difficult for us. I love how Eugene Peterson he he paraphrases Jesus' words in John 15, but he says this: He says, I am the vine you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship is intimate and organic. Let me say this morning, prayer is meant to be intimate and organic. And that word organic is super interesting to me, okay? I'm not a huge health guy, but you know, I have kicked the Wendy's a couple years ago, okay? I'm a, I'm a new man now, okay? Marriage will do that to you. It'll kick the Wendy's right out and get you some grilled chicken and asparagus the, the fellas laughed, Rather, right? They're like, yeah well, missed my Wendy. <laughs> but organic. What, what does organic actually mean? Especially when we talk about food, right? What does organic mean? It means it's its original substance. And whether things are actually organic in the stores or not, I'll let you watch the documentaries. I'm not going to say a word, okay? But most of the things that we eat are not actually organic, right? They've added things to it. Whether it's like red sticks or MSG or you know, all the high fructose corn syrup, I had to Google things, what are added to food, okay? But you, you know, like it's, it's, it was one thing, we've added a bunch of things to it. And in a real way, that's how our relationship with Jesus is, that it loses its organic nature because we've added things to Jesus. That it's Jesus plus our tradition, Jesus plus the shame that we carry, Jesus plus my performance, plus the disappointment of my experience that I look at him through. And not all these things are bad, they're real things, but they're the things that filter our relationship with Jesus that makes it not organic, not intimate. And it's why prayer usually doesn't flow in the ease that it's supposed to, that worship feels like it's some kind of discipline or devotion to us. And what's crazy about all these things that we add to Jesus is that it actually doesn't change who he is at all. Nothing that you've experienced, nothing that you've been told has ever changed who he is. And prayer flows not from our additives to Jesus, but from gazing at who he actually is. And so this morning, Austin preached last week. He talked about the Acts prayer model, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If I I was to tag something this morning, it would be the A. This is an A sermon, not in grade, but all right. (laughs) Not in grade, you know, but, but it's an adoration sermon. It's to look at Jesus. And we're just going gonna to test it almost and look at who he is. And, and a quick disclaimer, he, hear me this morning. I'm not saying forget whatever you're going through, just look at Jesus and everything's going to be okay. That's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the kind of church that we are. But in a real way, when we look at Jesus, when we see him for who he is, worship and prayer comes natural to us. I actually want to submit to us that, that most of our fears, most of our anxieties, our anger, our bitterness is a thread that if we pulled long enough and hard enough in it, we would actually find that at the core of it is some mistrust in the goodness of who he is, that at the core of most of our issues is some kind of distrust, mistrust, complication additive to the pure beauty and goodness of who Jesus is. And one of the beautiful things that we're going to do this morning is we get, we get a peek into the prayer closet of David. Okay, David King, David, he, he's, a, he's a man that God said, this is a man after my own heart. Yet he's a flawed man. He's got all kinds of screw-ups and mess-ups and all kinds of stuff. But we get a peek in to see what is so amazing about the prayer life of David and how he starts his prayers. is like super encouraging to me because i got a lot of inner dialogue going on. Anybody else have some inner dialogue? Anyone else talk to themselves a lot? That's actually how David starts his prayer, right? He's talking to his soul. (laughs) He's saying, oh, soul, you praise the Lord, soul. Right? Rather than listening to himself for a moment, he's actually preaching to himself. He's like, oh, soul, you bless the Lord. I know you're depressed. I know you're discouraged. But soul, we are going to look at who God is right now. That's what worship is a lot of the times. Right? It's us coming in with our overwhelmed state of being, our fear, our anxiety, whatever we're carrying in here, and despite our feelings, despite what we're saying, we just say, I'm just going to look at Jesus. And we tell our souls, and we lift our voices despite where our mind is or our heart is, and we just sing praise to Jesus. It's the stuff that we're just saying, you sing and I'm no longer a slave to fear. I feel very afraid right now, but I'm no longer a slave to fear. And you sing it, right? You're talking to your soul right now, saying, bless the Lord, soul. This inner dialogue it's what, it's what we have read last week, Psalm 100, where David says we enter his courts, we enter into his presence with praise. That Sometimes it's a, it's a discipline. Sometimes we, we feel discouraged, and rather than trying to solve all our problems, we just need to pl- put our headphones in and listen to whatever worship style you want to listen to, whether it's Josh Garrels or Mav City, whatever it might be. You just got to let praise wash over you that it's a, it's a movement in our hearts that we, we're actually having this inner dialogue, bless the Lord, praise him. And I love that he continues, right? This whole thing is inner dialogue, by the way. He said, In soul, forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. So often, prayer is hard because we have forgotten or never really truly grasped all of his benefits. Right? One of my old mentors, he, he tagged his whole Christian life, he said this I'm blown away at my ability to forget. I'm like, Yo, same here in more ways than spiritual, but we forget all the time. It's why the Bible, it is peppered over 250 times in the scriptures it calls us to remember, right? Because we are prone to wander, to forget, not just intellectually, but in our hearts. And he's saying, don't forget who he is. Don't forget. It's, it's why almost like every Bible study community group, like every first thing you start off your statement with is like, yeah, It's a really good reminder, right? That is like the Christian thing to say. It's kind of like also like, I know that, but it's a good reminder, you know? But it's real because it's a reminder. You're remembering. It's not that you forgot it, but something strikes in your heart again. You remember. That's who he is. That's what he's telling himself right now. In his own prayer time, he's saying, don't forget who he is. Don't forget. It's not always some completely new attribute about God, but it's being reminded of who he is because we forget. Because our flesh, our culture, society, we have a spiritual enemy who's basically always trying to lie to us, trying to convince us that God is somebody else than the scriptures don't portray him to be. And those are the most dangerous lies, by the way, the ones that are centered on who God is. That we sometimes internalize without even really knowing it, that we've embodied some form of who we see God to be that's not in alignment with who he actually is. They're lies. And it's so we have to remind ourselves again and again of who God is. Forget not all that He's done for you. Forget not all His benefits. And then He just lists off the benefits. And I've been hype all morning, so I'm sorry, but it's like His benefits, yo, they're so good. He says, He, verse three, He who forgives all your sins. So who is God this morning? He's the one who forgives all your sins. Verse 8 reminds us the first two words that God describes himself as in Exodus, that he is compassionate and gracious. And then in verse 12, he continues, he says, So far as the east is from the west, has he removed our transgressions from us. Right? It's this like hyperbolic language saying that as far as anything that you can comprehend, that's how far you are away from your sin. You can't comprehend a bigger distance than the east in the West, and that's how far separated and removed you are from your sin. But what's interesting is the forgiveness of God usually makes us actually like uncomfortable. Right? Like First 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, Confess all your sins to him because he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. This word, all, is so powerful. But I've been thinking about it lately. Like uh, We've been uh, saying some words that we're like not trying to say anymore because then Blakely, my little three-year-old, has been saying the words also. So now we've got words that she's not supposed to say that I keep saying, you know. I'm not going to say what they are, but um, let your imagination go, but not too crazy, you know. Um, I'm a pastor, so I don't say some things. But um, she's been saying some things, but now she's like a little legalist girl, okay? So, like, when I say something, she's like, Daddy, we don't say that. I'm like, "Ah, oh. like, sorry, baby. We, I say every time, sorry, sweetie. I'm like, will you forgive, Daddy? And you know her forgive. You know, kids' forgiveness is different. It's, it's so easy to them. There's, she just goes, yep. Can we go to Tiny Town? I was like, what? That's it? I'm, I'm like thinking like, ah, oh, I gotta really I'm just like squiggly forget. Yep. Tiny tiny town, Dad. Tiny town. That's all I care. She's not trying to manipulate me either. She's no, she's like, Dad, Tiny Town, let's go. Yep. That makes us uncomfortable to think that when we come to God, that says, Father, I'm so sorry. Yep. Yep. That's how easy forgiveness is to him. It's who he is. He's the one who forgives all of our sins. And it's because of the scandalous news of Jesus, right? That Jesus became our sin. So that you and I, that we could become righteous. That on the cross, Jesus, he subjected himself to all of the judgment. To all of the condemnation. And so now when the Father looks at us and we say, God, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yep. Because Jesus already paid for the sins that we're struggling with. That's why he's forgiven them all. Jesus already paid for all of it. It's who he is. So often we walk around in shame. We live under the blanket of condemnation. And, he, and David right now is preaching to himself, forget not that he's the one who forgives all your sins. That there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. There's none left. Jesus took it all on himself so that now you and I, we, we live in the freedom of his forgiveness. Always, forever, past, present, future. It becomes an identity that we are forgiven. He's the one that forgives all of our sins. Then he keeps going. That would be enough, right? We could just put a period there and be like, praise be to God. Let's pray. Let's go. But he keeps going. Forget not all his benefits. Let me just say that most of the time in our Christian life, that's the benefit that we just land on. We just put the period there. We're like, that's great. That's good. Let's just keep talking about his forgiveness. That's all it is. There's more to God than just forgiveness, which by the way, that would be enough, but he's better and bigger and there's more than just that. He continues and he says, the one who heals all our diseases. Who is God? He is fundamentally a healer. It's who he is. And I understand when we, when we talk about healing, healing brings all kinds of baggage to it. Healing is, 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 is enveloped in disappointment. There's many of us, even in this room, that I know you've been crying out for healing for years and years and years. And God feels far more like a disappointing, unexperienced, Unpresent, unpowerful God than he does a healer. And to be honest, we have a, we have a, we have a sermon that we preach this summer on healing and the mystery of healing. But this morning, what I just want to do, I just want to look at who, who Jesus is. Who he is. Because Mark 5 has this beautiful picture of Jesus that reminds us that healing is easy for him. Right? He, he's actually he he's, he's requested by this, by this older man, and he comes and says, Hey, listen, my daughter is sick. She's deathly ill. Will you come and heal her? We've heard that you've been doing some amazing things. He doesn't have a well-developed theology of Jesus, but he just heard that he's been healing some people, and he says, Come on, can you do this for me? And he's like, Of course. He starts walking, and he gets in this crowd of people, and they're walking from one place to the, to the next, and, and he's literally about to go heal somebody. And then, then there's this other lady who's been, who's been struggling with this chronic illness for years. Years. And she actually also hears the rumors. Hey, there's this guy who's just been healing everyone. Same thing, not a really well-developed theology of Jesus. Doesn't really understand what he's been doing, what he's come to do. But she's like, I think he has healing. And she's so desperate that she searches through the crowd. And all she does, she just thinks, she has the thought in her head that pops into her head and says, Hey, maybe if I just touch him, if I can just touch his, the hem of his garment, then maybe I could be healed. And that's what she does. She reaches her way through the crowd. She touches him. And you know the story, right? Like, what does Jesus do? He's with his disciples. They're working through this huge crowd of people. And he just goes, who who touched me? His disciples, are like, who touched you, Lord? We're in a a crowd. Who touched? We got to go. Like, let's go. And he's like, no, somebody touched. I felt power flow from out of me. And it says in that moment that the the, the woman is healed. She touches him and and she's healed. (laughs) Healing flow, it drips out of Jesus. It's easy for him that he holds power in his hands that is just easy. Healing is easy for him. And if you work your way through the Gospels and you see why he heals, there's only a couple that have like a really explicit reasoning and purpose that he's trying to teach, but he heals because he loves. He's moved by his loving compassion for his people. And so even for us as a church, we we are invited to, even commanded to, pray for healing, to ask God to do what only he can do. It's why we do stuff at the back every single week because we believe that God can heal. We believe that He can. And in a real way, the scriptures do not let us out of that. They say, come, ask, seek, knock. And there's some process that we're invited into to ask the Lord to heal. And I love what Sam Storms says. He's one of our kind of favorite pastor, author, writer guys. But but he says: the invitation to the church is to not to not to pray and hope that he heals but it's to pray until he heals meaning that someday there is a new creation that is coming where every healing will be made fully manifested every pain that you carry in your body in your spirit in your heart all of it will be healed that you will be a whole person again and so we're supposed to pray until the new creation comes we're supposed to say god heal and knowing this is not a false promise that he heals all of our diseases because he will that there, is, there will be a day that everything is made right, that every joint will be put back into place, that God will heal all of it. And so even right now, what we're doing as we ask for healing is partnering with what Jesus invites us to do in the Lord's Prayer, right? Where he says, on earth as it is in heaven. It's asking God for his resources from the new creation, from what he will do someday, and bring them here now. We're invited to do it, and we're not doing it out of, we're not trying to conjure something or make something up, but we're saying this is who you are. You are fundamentally a healer, the God who heals all of our diseases, and He keeps going. Right, He says, "The one who redeemed your life from the pit." Who is God? He is the one who redeems your life from the pit. The pit is this symbolic illustration for destruction. Right? It's this. It's this. Like, remember who you could be. And some of us that really resonate. Some of us is like, I don't know. I think I'd be all right, but but. but but for all of us, in a real way, you can look back at moments in your life and say, I shouldn't be where I am right now. It is a miracle that I am where I am right now. I can't believe whether the, the family that you were born into or the, the, the different circumstances and trials and tribulations that you've been through as an individual, it is by God's grace that you are even in this room right now, that he's redeemed your life from the pit. And I love that word, redeem, because he's not, he's not an editor, by the way. He doesn't just like edit the stuff that we're like, ah, that was a bad part of my story. Let me cut that out, you know, cut and paste. No, he's a redeemer. He takes the stuff, the pain, the suffering, the struggle, the sin, the shame, all the stuff that you've participated in in your life, and he redeems it. He doesn't just want to cut those parts out, but he wants to make them new. He wants to repurpose all of the things that you've struggled with. And there's a real movement in our hearts to say, look at who I could have been. Remember been, Remember what I've been through. Right, another one of my mentors, he, he, said, he says, we have to look back in order to move forward with confidence. We have to look back at all that God has done to, to, to instill this deep-rooted confidence in us of what he's going to do in the future. It's what the Lord has Joshua do. Right? As he passes through the river, he says, everybody take a stone. And write down what God has done, put it down, and as you look back, they will. They will every, every time you look at that stone, it will be a stone of remembrance, that you remember the faithfulness and the goodness and the grace of what God has done for you. He's not an editor, but he redeems our life from the pit. And he just keeps going. We good? Can we keep going? Is there enough? Let's go. He's the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And that word crown, it really is what we just sang this morning, that he surrounds us. It's the same thing in Psalm 23 when he says that the, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I used to think it was kind of like, a, like you ever see the cartoons that has like the, the cloud on somebody and they're having a bad day and it just like rains on them, you know, and it's like they're just like grumpy and then just like the cloud just kind of falls. That's kind of what I used to think it was. It was like uh, God's mercy and grace just above my head all the time, you know which it kind of is, but but really what the picture is here is that he is pursuing us nonstop, that he surrounds us. His covenant, loyal love, that there's, there's no place you can't go, that he won't follow you there in pursuit of you, that he hunts you down in the midst of your rebellion. It's who he is. He surrounds us with love and mercy. He not only redeems, but he pursues you, and he sustains you, and he surrounds you. And then finally, and he satisfies you. The one who satisfies you with good. And I love that. It's really interesting to me that Jesus is almost always using our core desires to communicate to us the things that we really need, to communicate to us even his own character. Just look at the scriptures, right? It's like he talks about thirst, (laughs) hunger, shelter, (laughs) air. (laughs) It's like all the things that you really, he talks about our core desires almost always as some kind of avenue to communicate his character to us because he knows that he's the one who can satisfy us. And the amount of food shows out there right now is like insane, okay? So many food shows, food truck, kitchen, kids in the kitchen, British Bake Off, okay? I saw one on Netflix that was on like the top 10 shows for like three months. It's called Is It a Cake? (laughs) I'm like, yo, we're desperate right now. Here's the premise of, is it a cake? They make two things. One of them's a cake. One of them's a real thing. And then they cut into both of them. They say, is it a cake? That's it. I'm like, three months, that's in the top ten? But we love, we love food shows. I don't know what it is. We love, we love these food shows. But you know what's interesting about when you watch these food shows? No one has to tell you, hey, you should probably eat, you know? You're pretty hungry. When you watch a food show, what happens in you? You get start like it's not healthy to watch. You should watch like 40, you should have a limit, like a screen limit on your food show watching. Otherwise you will become a big eater, okay? Like 30 to 45 minutes I would recommend. Um, that's not from the pastoral thing, but let me just, as a friend, okay? As you watch these shows though, you just get hungry. You're like, oh, that looks so good. I love that, that's what Jesus does. He's like the king of leading us to our own desires and then revealing us, revealing to us that, that he's the one that can meet us, right? To, to, in John chapter 4, to the outcast woman getting water in the middle of the day, he says, uh, I've got water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And she goes, sir, where do I get this water, you know? She's like, where? Where's the water? He doesn't have to be like, hey, you need more of the Holy Spirit. He just goes, you know, I got something that you'll never be thirsty. She, Where's the water, right? Same thing to the disciples. He's like, whoever comes to me, you'll never hunger. They're like, give us this bread, Always, right? It, John chapter 7, same thing. Says so anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus has the ability to make us spiritually hungry without telling us that we like, need to eat. And in a real way, that's, that's even what this morning is. It's trying to look at who Jesus is in a way that makes you spiritually hungry. Not to say, hey, you need, to, you need more discipline, you need more devotion, you need to get your rhythms in order, but it's to say, look at who he is. Aren't you hungry? Look at who he is. Aren't you, don't, don't you want some of that? He has food and drink that will actually last, things that will satisfy you. He's the one who forgives, the one who heals, the one who satisfies. Spiritual boredom, it can't, it can't live in the presence of Jesus. Again, even that itself is not a discipline issue, it's a connection issue. It's an awe issue. It's an inability to see Jesus for who he actually is. Henry Nouwen says it this way, he says, boredom is a sentiment of disconnectedness. He says, boredom, to be bored therefore does not mean that we have nothing to do but that we question the value of the things that we are so busy doing. This is really interesting. He says, the great paradox of our time is that many of us are busy and bored at the same time. In short, we live our lives, in short, while we live our lives full, we are actually unfulfilled. Don't you feel that? I'm so busy. I'm in a rush. My life and my schedule is packed. But I have this disconnectedness inside of me that says I need something more. And in a real way, this is why I'm so excited. Okay, the next next week, we're going to start this series on the Holy Spirit. Life with the Spirit together, learning to understand and experience the Holy Spirit together. And that's what it is. It's a series for those of us who are are feeling spiritually apathetic, spiritually bored. You feel like you know the stuff, but that 18 inches from your head to your heart feels like 18 miles. Like It feels like it's, I can't get there. It's for those of us who feel like we have no power, that we lack courage, that we feel aimless in life and spiritually, that we feel these gaps in our lives, For those of us who actually have this deep longing for healing, like real healing. And all of it flows from us seeing Jesus and who he is. That you can't make yourself hungry. You can't make yourself spiritually hungry. You can't make yourself want to do stuff. You know that. You've tried by now. But it's only by looking at and gazing upon Jesus. That the hunger, the freedom, the forgiveness, the satisfaction, it's all Found in him. And even this morning, as I was praying, I just felt like I had this picture pop into my head of, of Luke chapter 10, this, this story of Jesus. That he comes into the, the home of these two women, and which by the way, that would just be the most scandalous thing. Most readers wouldn't even get to the, the actual the, the thing that they were telling in the story, because they'd be like, Jesus was in the home of women. That would be crazy enough. Okay, that's how countercultural he was. But he comes into this house with these two women, Mary and Martha, their sisters. And Martha, she's just. Man, she's like, the Lord is in my house, you know, I'm about to get to work. And she just starts doing stuff. She's doing dishes, cleaning the floor, looking at all this stuff, cooking dinner, getting all this stuff ready. She starts to feel really exhausted, really tired. Like, I'm doing all this stuff. And she looks over and her sister Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet, crisscross applesauce, just like, wow. She's, and, and she looks at Jesus, she's like, Jesus, tell her to get off the ground. I'm doing all this stuff. She's just sitting at your feet. And Jesus, in one of the most beautiful responses in the scripture, he looks at her with love and he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Thought that dot. he just kind of leaves it there. Classic Jesus. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. And you know, I get Martha. It is safe to be busy. It is safe to just do stuff. But even in the life of our church, I feel like we're at this cross point. Where we're like, are we going to do a bunch of stuff? Or are we going to be obsessed with Jesus? And we want to be a church that is obsessed with Jesus. We want to be a people who are crisscross applesauce at his feet saying, lead us, Lord. We love you. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. It's all about you. And the Psalms, that's what they're all about, by the way. They're all about him. Every psalm whispers his name. From Psalm 1, he is the righteous one. He is the good shepherd of Psalm 23, the true high priest of Psalm 110, the only one who won't see this decay in Psalm 16. Jesus is the one who holds forgiveness in his hand. He's the one who healing just drips off of him, who's moved by love and compassion. He's the one who's redeemed your life. Not edited, but he's redeemed your life from the pit. He's the one who can satisfy your deepest needs. And so we want to sit at his feet as a church, as a people, as community groups. We want to be people who sit at Jesus' feet saying, we love you. And if we don't have you, we don't have nothing. That we want to choose the one thing and it's you. That's who we want to be. That's why we want to be a praying church and a worshiping church. And even as we step into this Holy Spirit series, it's all because we want to experience and know Jesus together as a people. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we we love you. Will you fill us fresh with, with love for you? If there's any lies that we have believed about you, would you replace them with the truth of who you are? I especially just wanna pray for those experiencing real discouragement around a lack of breakthrough in their life? Will you fill us with expectation? A prayer and a faith that flows from looking at you, not building more faith, but a faith that says this is who Jesus is. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that in our hearts this morning. Even as we worship and we, we praise this morning, would, would things fall off of us? Would we look at you? Would you set us free to worship you? Help us to be a people who sit at your feet. Help us not to be busy doing many things, even spiritual things, but to to do everything out of our our love and adoration and praise and relationship with you. Would you restore the organic nature of our communication with you? Break off the, the unhealthy tradition that lives within us? and we just love you, Lord. We come to you with praise and thanksgiving this morning for who you are. Amen.